listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening. This is Shereen Rice, your host for tonight, and we are with uh, Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and to help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. I want to thank everyone who is listening tonight, and this will be an awesome show with Lupe Moreno. In addition to being a domestic violence survivor, Lupe Moreno is a certified resilience instructor, a certified transformational life coach. She's the co-author of One Word, Discover, Reflect, and Connect with Words that Can Transform Your Life. She's also the author of your upcoming book, Unmasking the Silent Killer, The Many Faces of Domestic Violence. I'd like to remind everyone that our show is on Thursday at 8 o'clock Central Time, the second and fourth Thursday of each month. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want direct links to those services, you can go to our homepage on cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline 1-800-799-SAFE. If you'd like to call and talk to our guests, please feel free to do so. Our number is... 917-889-8078. And let's thank, uh, let's welcome Lupe to the show. Hi, Lupe. Lupe? Oh, we put Lupe on. Hello? Hi, Lupe. Hi, Lupe. <laughs> how are you? Yeah. I think I was muted. Hi, how are you? <laughs> You were. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. You were muted just for a second there. So how are you? I just wanted to welcome you to the show. So good to hear your voice again. I'm doing great and excited to be here with you and like just excited and honored to be your guest this time. Excellent. Well, I'm so honored to be yours for sure. Okay. uh, Let's start with your book. Um, What inspired you to write the book? Um. I actually was inspired because of my past and going back um, with everything that I went through, starting out as a victim when I was a teenager and now going through my healing and everything and being where I am now, I wanted to be able to help somebody who was in my shoes when I first became a victim. And so what inspired me is like, okay, just not knowing what domestic violence was. And then even after I left my first abuser, I didn't know about the many types of abuse. So I was only really thinking about physical. So the second abusive relationship I got into, even though he wasn't physically abusive, he was abusive in other ways. And I stayed with him because I kept telling myself and other people, well, at least he doesn't hit me. And uh-huh. so I started thinking, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of victims out there who don't realize they're victims because they're not being physically abused. So I wanted to write a book. Um, Well, originally I started to write a book on my life and my story and just about me. And then after I started thinking about it and I wanted to decided to put that one on hold because although I am going to still continue my book about my story, I thought it was more important for me to write a book about the different types of abuse and more of an educational type of a book 
that breaks down different types, the main types of abuse, what the signs are, sharing some examples of my life, how I went through each one, and what they can do, like to recognize the signs, how to get out if they are in it, and then a little bit about the healing process afterwards. And it can also be used as a book that schools can use to educate students. People can buy it for their family members if they know or suspect that they're in an abusive relationship. So I want it to be more meaningful than just my story. Yeah. Because if somebody just read my story, then they would get to know me better, get to know my journey, how far I've come, what I went through to get where I am. But I didn't think that would really help them with their own journey or prevent other people from becoming victims. So I wanted to put it more of an like an educational spin on it. So that's why I decided to do this book and put my other book on hold, <laughs> which once this one is done, I am going to finish continuing that one. And actually I've gotten a couple ideas for other, two other books that are on my list of to-dos too. So it's, as I'm working on this book, it's giving me more ideas for other books to become. So it's kind of going to end up being like a series. <laughs> so I'm excited awesome. about that. Yeah, you can do version one, edition one, edition two. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and then as, I, as I've as i met more survivors and hearing their stories and stuff that they say, you know, that they wish they would have known or just being able to help some survivors now with their journey and it's it's giving me more information so every time I'm like typing I'm like oh I need to add this in or I need to clarify this a little bit more and so it's been that's why it's taken me longer to write it because I keep adding more and changing but it's like okay it's time to put it out there and it's going to be what it is and it's you know I'm just excited. So right now, um, I'm looking at a tentative release date of September 1st because oh, awesome. I do want of the, it out this book? before October. Yes, I, still awesome. September of this year. I want it out yeah. before October um, to put more information out there and before Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I don't, right. like, I don't want to wait until October. Right. And I have the same um, desire that you did. Education and knowledge is so important. And so that's why I, uh, as well as you, wrote, wrote my book, because I wanted to, I wanted people to get a firsthand understanding of what I was going through. And a lot of it was written while I was going through it. Um, in fact, uh, the whole thing was uh, written while I was going through it. The aftermath, you know, after I was discarded and so forth. Um, mm. And what what I was looking at and I also went into the the personality disorders. Did you discuss the personality disorders when you were discussing abuse at all? Um some like about the um psychological abuse. I'm not it's not getting too deep into each one because um, I know there's other books and other resources that people can find as far yeah. as if they so these like one chapter is like on t- teens at dating abuse. One is on the oh, physical, awesome. one on emotional. So one chapter on each one. So I, I mean, I can't put everything in there, but enough to where right. they'll have the information that they need. And if they want to research more into that one type of abuse, then they can reach out in online and get other resources. Right, right. That is that's wonderful. Um, 
that delves pretty deep, though. Yours was mostly psychological abuse? Uh, no, I actually went through all. <laughs> so, uh. yeah, um, the first one, it was the psychological, physical abuse, um, sexual, financial, uh-huh. um, pretty much the little bit of bit of spiritual one. And mm-hmm. then with my second one, that was more psychological and financial. You know, I think psychological doesn't um, doesn't get the appreciation uh, that it should, and I'll tell you why. Because it is the first one that anyone will go through. It is the one that has a is the component of every type of abuse. There's always a psychological abuse motive. Yeah, and usually that starts off before physical. Right. So by the time it becomes physically abusive, there's already other types of abuse happening. Or else right. if there wasn't, then most likely the victim, if they grew up in a healthy family and they were healthy, you know, confident and everything before getting hit, then they're yeah. going to say, hey, you know, they're not going to stand for it and they're not going to, you know, I'm done with this relationship. Right. But for somebody who's feels like, they don't deserve any any better or just they felt they deserved it in some way, then they're going to stay. They're going to forgive them and they're going to believe the stories like, okay, I'm not going to do it again. He'll change. I know he can. Or she, you know, if it's the abuser's yeah. female. Um, so, yeah, definitely before the physical, there's always some type of emotional, um, verbal, psychological abuse that's happening before it gets to that level. Yeah. So I really think that people need to understand the psychological abuse, in my opinion, is the worst abuse because it is the first abuse and it is how they psychologically change or brainwash you into allowing anything beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, one, you know, things that's come to me a few years back and um, where I really got really interested in doing this was I had to write an essay for one of my classes, and I chose to write about domestic violence. And so I started researching more and everything, and I, and I was still kind of dealing with my own healing still at this time. This was five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about it. And just like somebody who has lung cancer, when they first smoke a cigarette for the very first time, they don't stop to think I might die of cancer. And right. an alcoholic doesn't think that their very first drink of whatever type of alcohol is going to lead them to being an alcoholic. Somebody's right. first choke of a, a marijuana cigarette, they don't think, oh, yeah, I want to be an addict. Or, you know, right. so when people say, you know, well, why do you stay? Why did you let them hit you? And, well, a victim, when you're into that point, it's not like you decided, okay, yeah, I'm going to become a victim. You know, it's just, it's something that gradually starts with maybe one word that they told you, a negative thing that they apologized for. And then it increases and increases and over time. And then they apologize it's again. Just, <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. it gets up to the next level. Just like if you're smoking marijuana, then you that's not strong enough anymore, so you take mm-hmm. it to the next drug and then to the next drug. Or you might go from beer to strong alcohol. It's a gradual increase. And this is the right. same thing with abuse. It starts off gradually. It might not happen very often. And it might only happen maybe once every couple months or something. It might not, not be on a daily basis. But well, and they change you know around it, the abuse too. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. He'll change around me. well, he's not criticizing me anymore. He's just holding back my credit cards and my checkbooks, you know? Yeah. It might be <laughs> something like that. So literally, and... yeah, they, they go from one to the other, like you said, just to switch it up to uh, make you know what's going on. Yeah. So you don't, it's like before you even realize that you're in it and you don't realize how, when you're going through it, you don't realize what you're doing until you're there and you feel lost. And usually by that time, you've lost a lot of your friends and family because you've been isolated from all of them. So you feel helpless. You feel defenseless and nowhere to turn. So that might be even more reason why to stay. And so that's yeah. just the same thing as being an alcoholic and drug addict. Okay, now you want to kick the habit. You want to be sober. But it's not easy to just say, okay, right now I quit. You can't just walk right. away. It takes time. It takes a lot of healing and you have to have the support system and just to avoid the situation, avoid that person. Um, it's just, it's like going through a detox, getting that toxic person in that toxic environment out of your life. Right. And it's not only doing that, but you have to do it safely. People are like, just leave, just leave. It doesn't take that. Number one, 70% of all deaths that occur in domestic violence happen when you're leaving or after you've left. So you need to prepare for a safety plan, and people don't get that. A safety plan has to be put into place. My ex-husband, his ex-wife prior to me, planned for eight or nine years for the, her exit from that marriage. Mm-hmm. But she yeah. had everything. Especially if you have everything. kids. Because yeah. If you have kids, it requires changing them out of schools. Or yeah. if you have custody, it um custody issues you can't just take them and then you're going to be charged with violating your custody order you could face criminal charges it's not that easy (laughs) so yeah you do have to prepare and I know just in my own case it wasn't just by moving from one county to another one I ended up getting into something that I didn't expect and where it ended up happening that my youngest was taken away from me. I lost custody of her because I moved from one county to another. Yeah. And because I didn't go through the proper way of doing it. I thought because I had full custody, um, why well, had more custody? He had every other weekend with her. But because I didn't go through the court first to move out of the county, it ended up being where we went to court and... I ended up losing custody of her at the age when she was 15. Oh, no. So that was, that was very hurt, you know, hard for me. That was yeah. one of my very low points in my life. But we've overcome it. It's been it's been a few years now, and we're good now. But, oh, when I went through it, that put me into one of my deep depressions. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that was five years ago when I went through that. And that's so not uncommon. Mm-hmm. So with my other ones, I stayed in the same county the whole time. I stayed in the same city. Um, actually, I, I moved to one new city when they were little, when they were first kindergarten or first grade, my two older kids. But then after that, I stayed in the same city so that I never had an issue with that with him. And but, yeah. you know what? 
Lupe, you bring up a good point. When women are leaving, they don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go. Who has all these resources? Typically, um, your DV center that's close isn't going to give you any legal information. You know, where someone should be able to give you legal information, financial information, you know, and so forth and so on. All this information to help you leave safely. Um, I'm not sure in the state you're in, but uh, our state here and the state I was in prior to this do not have anything like that. And that is one thing that DV women need so bad is good information to help them make decisions. Yeah, I was living in California when I was going through all this with all my custody issues. And I'm sure you would have not moved from one county to the other had you have known that you would might lose your daughter, right? Yeah, I didn't think that because she wanted to go with me. In fact, she had already told her teachers, all her friends, her church, because she was involved with the youth group at church. She told everybody that she was moving. They had going away celebrations for her and everything. And she was excited about moving with me. It was just one of those things. Well, then once her dad, because I had told him, I didn't do it through the court, but I had told him I was going to move. And I knew he wasn't happy with it, but... I'm like, okay, you're still going to be able to see her every other weekend. We're not that far away. It was still within two-hour drive. So nothing had to change, but it did. And it was a learning lesson for me. You know, I just, you have to go through the legal channels once you have an open case. (laughs) Until until that child turns 18, there's just, unfortunately, you have to do it right or it could go against you. Yeah, and you have to have the money to fight for your child, too. And a lot of abused women don't have that money. Some do, but some don't. You know what I mean? Yeah, I actually represented myself during all those, during all my cases. There was only one time that I did hire an attorney only because my ex had his attorney. And by the time I hired an attorney, we we already had our court date and everything. And he even basically asked me, okay, what do you want me to ask him? <laughs> so he didn't really have to do anything except show up in court and just be there to represent me, but I had already done all the paperwork and everything. So, I mean, he was pretty good about that, though, because he ended up helping me, giving me some advice later on in my other case with my other ex, and he helped me after the fact. I think because yeah. he knew he <laughs> he didn't really help me, even though I paid him, but it all worked out. And did you get, were you able to get custody of your daughter again, uh, the, representing yourself? Um, I represented myself in both cases with my, um, with my first one. With the two younger ones, I had full custody um, the majority of their life. There were some times where their dad and I had 50-50 custody. And that one... What went against me in that one, because that was my first abuser, what went against me was the fact that the whole time that we were together, that was a 13-year abusive relationship that started Mm. when we were 16. Mm. I never pressed charges against him for anything. And so when I was bringing up the domestic violence in our court hearings, I had really nothing to prove it. So he was denying everything. But I did have witnesses who had gone through the stuff. And because I worked at a law enforcement agency while I was going through it with him, 
I was able to get my supervisor to write a letter to the court as a witness of things that she knew that was going on. I was able to get some information. Even though we didn't have actual reports, there was logs of, you know, the incident reports of when the police officers went to our house. But back then, the law, that was before domestic violence laws had changed. I mean, so because I didn't want to press charges, there was nothing that the police officers could do. It was out of their hands. They were my friends, they were my coworkers, and they wanted to arrest him and send him away to prison. They had even told me uh, after I was interviewed for several hours by the domestic violence investigators that if I pressed charges, he was going to be doing several years in prison for all the um, crimes that he had committed against me and my children. But at that time, I didn't want to press charges. So, And, and you know what? You bring up a good point. There's a lot of DV women that don't press charges. And there's reasons mm-hmm. behind that. <clears throat> because, well, number one, now, it might be dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily now, the change, the laws did change after we got divorced, where then the officers, if they even saw a mark on the victim. this is a, Again, this is in California, so I'm not sure yeah. about other states. So there were times when the victims didn't want to press charges, and the officers still were able to arrest the abuser anyway. So... I'm thankful that the laws have changed since then. And if if laws were different when I was going through it, then I'm sure I would have left a lot sooner and my ex would have done some time. But luckily, I mean, I'm glad that I got out. I'm glad that my my children and I are doing great now. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, during my whole healing process with my um my first abuser, when he had to go, I did finally press charges against him after our divorce. And that was only for misdemeanor vandalism and misdemeanor domestic battery. So he didn't do any jail time. He did get two weeks of community service and I believe it was three years probation. But during that, as part of his sentence, he had to go to batterer's treatment program and anger management classes. He ended up telling me that when he went to the battery treatment program, he went to a class where they were discussing the different types of abuse. And they were showing videos and giving examples of each one. So at the end of the class, the instructor had asked each one of them, if you could relate to this one, raise your hand. And some of them raised their hands. If you could relate to this one, raise your hand. He did that for every type of abuse. And so my my ex called me after, and he told me what happened in class, and he was like, I'm the only one who raised my hand for every single one. And he called to apologize to me, you know, and I knew he was sincere because he didn't realize what he was doing. Um, he grew up in an abusive relationship. I mean, grew, his parents, his father was abusive to his mom, so he grew up seeing that and thinking it was normal behavior. And... He knew the physical part was wrong, but he didn't realize that what he was doing financially and psychologically was abusive to me. And even when we first started living together at the age of 19, he used to tell me to to leave him because he didn't want to be like my dad. He didn't want to be abusing me. And at that time, it hadn't gotten as severe as it did later on. So I didn't think that it would, you know. But if I had known then... And so I would have left him. I would have left before we had kids and before it really changed my life. But at the end, 
I'm glad I stayed because I have my kids from it. I am the person I am today because I went through all that. I'm able to help people now because of what I went through. And now we're at a place where I can be around him. We're civil. I hardly see him now. We're in different states. But when I do go back home to, you know, I saw him this past September at my daughter's, um, my granddaughter's first birthday. And he was there and we can socialize in places now. We've both come a long way. I've actually seen a change in him because I think once he realized that he was an abuser and that he needed help, it took him a while because he was in more abusive relationships after he was with me. But I've seen how he's grown over, I'd say, maybe the last 10 years that I can actually be around him now. Yeah, And so it's been 10 years since you've divorced we, I divorced him in 1995, so it's been over 20 years. <laughs> okay, um, and so just recently or the, the past 10 years, you've been, how long was it since from the time you were divorced to the time you saw him that you could actually be civil? I would say the last time I went to court was about nine years ago because even though we divorced, we kept going back and forth from 1995 all the way until 2008 over custody issues. Wow. So 2008, let me see, 2013, I still wasn't comfortable around him. I still didn't trust him so much. But I would say maybe about 2014, so probably about the last four years is when I actually started feeling more comfortable around him, when I started to see changes in him. Because before that, I didn't think he had changed. I, just his behavior um, and knowing that he was still abusive to the people that he was with before because I would hear the stories from my kids when they were around yeah. him. Yeah. And I knew he hadn't changed. But I could tell, and I guess because the girl that he's with now, just seeing how she is now and how she interacts, her body language before when they were first dating she showed all the signs of an abusive victim. And I start seeing the difference in them. So I don't, I mean, I can't even say I guarantee that he's not abusing her now. I don't know. But I just know as far as me and how I feel when I'm around him, I feel safe now around him where I can have a talk with him and like with no worry at all. Now, my second abuser, <laughs> I that one, it's a little different because he's never taken responsibility for his actions, has never apologized to me or even admitted that anything that he did to me was wrong. That was more of gaslighting going on in that relationship. And the last time I saw him was this past October. And I thought I was going to be okay seeing him which I was at first, it was civil. When I first saw him, I went back home for about a week and saw him. Everything was okay because I was trying to be civil around our daughter. But then as a couple days went on and things leading up, just triggers started coming from the psychological abuse and the verbal and just it got me upset because 
I'm like, why am I even still being around him? I don't need to be around him, so I need to just avoid this. And it really brought up a lot, and I had to explain to my daughter, okay, I can't be around him. (laughs) I need to separate. I can't be in the same place with him. And so we ended up having to disinvite him to an event that um, that we were doing, that we were having. And I didn't like the fact that it put her in the middle again. Yeah. She went through enough of it as a child growing up, and now as an adult, she shouldn't be going through that. And, you know, I had to apologize to her for that because, you know, it hurt me to hurt her. And so right, right. now coming home, and it's like, okay, it wasn't until a few months ago that I realized, you know, okay, what really happened? I started questioning, like, God, you know, why did I get triggered like that? And just being, becoming a coach and getting coached myself, it's easy now to really look back and say, okay, you know, I'm not going to, now I know what to expect. And next time I see him, okay, it's not, I'm not going to let it affect me like that and stuff. And it's just, that one, it's, it's a little different. You know, I think maybe if he apologized and didn't put it all on me, try to blame me, try to make me look like the psycho <laughs> and everything that he did, then it would be different. Then I can maybe be civil and have a friendship with him one day. But at this point, we're not there. And for my daughter's sake, I would like to be there at some point like I am with my other ex. But I don't know. That's something that until he makes the effort, I can't control. I can only take care of myself, my own actions, and how I respond to it. I can't do anything about him. Right. And you're taking care of yourself because you, uh, everything I've spent time with you is you're, you feel, you seem very healthy. I am. I'm like, <laughs> I am so grateful for where my life is now. Yeah. And it's just at a point where I never thought that I would get here. Well, back then, years ago, I just couldn't, there was just no vision. I just never thought that it would ever happen to me. I thought back then that that's just the life, the way life was always going to be. I'm always going to be struggling. I was a single mom for so long time, always struggling, always um, unhappy. My unhappiness led to me being unhealthy. And now I'm at a point where I can focus on my health and doing everything. I'm so blessed now to have a great husband who's supportive and he just, he's, knows everything that I've been through, and so his strength has been there for me when I needed him to really be supportive. And it's just it's such a blessing now to be where I am. And I think that's another main reason why I started doing what I do because I see so many victims out there and, like, and who are giving up on men who feel like, they're, oh, they'd rather stay single than ever be in another bad relationship. And But it's not always bad and there are good guys out there good females out there but it all starts with our own healing because like going after my first divorce and I wasn't healed yet so that's why I got into another bad relationship and even after getting out of the second one I hadn't healed yet 
And so I ended up getting married later on. So I'm in my third marriage now. I didn't marry my younger daughter's dad, but I did marry a, uh, a good guy later on who he was a great guy. There was nothing negative about him except the fact that I made the mistake of marrying somebody I wasn't in love with. And at that point, it's because I had given up on love, and I knew he loved me. I knew he was a good guy. I knew he would treat me like a queen, but it wasn't fair to him to be married to somebody who didn't love him like he loved me. So we ended the marriage a little after a year, and we've stayed friends ever since. And, And even after that, after divorcing him, I still got into another relationship that was not a good one, and it just took so long. It was barely in 2012, early 2012, when I really made the decision. I was like, hey, you know, this isn't the life I want to live. I don't want to keep being in one bad relationship after another. You know, there's, I know there's true happiness. I know there is, and at that point, I just really prayed, and I was willing to stay single and happy. I hadn't given up on that, but I wasn't going to be looking for it anymore. And I right. really prayed and I asked God, you know, to change my heart, change my life. And I let him know what I was looking for in a man, what I was looking for in a marriage, what I was willing to bring into the marriage. And just asked him to heal me and to bring me the man that he had for me when the time was right. Because at that time, Early 2012, I was not ready. <laughs> I, right. If I had gone into another relationship at that time, it would have ended up being another one just like before. And in May of 2012 is when I met my husband, short oh, couple awesome. months after praying. And honestly, the first year, two years were tough. They were really tough because it was after I moved in with him because I left to move to with him to the new county, that's when I ended up losing my daughter. So going into a deep depression after losing her put a big strain on our on our relationship where I didn't neither one of us thought that we were gonna survive. Yeah. Even after we got married, um a little less than a year after we got married, we were looking at divorce because it just, going through that triggered a lot of stuff from my past and it triggered some stuff for him that he had gone through with his ex-wife because she was financially abusive with him. So it raised a lot of issues. We both had walls up from our previous relationships. But those first two years, they were tough. Very difficult. <laughs> it took a lot of growing. It took a lot of growing Um. What really helped me was in 2015 when I attended the Break the Silence Against Against Domestic Violence uh, retreat in May of 2015. And going there helped me realize that I hadn't healed yet. I thought I had, and I hadn't. And that's when it really opened my eyes to everything that I was going through in my marriage was still part of what I hadn't healed yet from my abuse. And so after that, that's when I started doing more research about domestic violence. We went to counseling. We went to marriage classes with our church. And it helped us both 
because we still had a lot to learn about the abuse that we had gone through with our past and it taught us more about marriage and what healthy relationships are because neither one of us really knew from experience what healthy relationships were. Right. So it's helped us both learn individually to grow as people, you know, as ourselves and as a couple. And how many years ago was that? That was in 2015 when we went through that counseling. Oh, okay. And it was, I mean, <laughs> like three. it was tough. At the, yeah, three years ago. And after that, that's when we moved cross country. <laughs> so moving and just having to deal with the struggles of now spending time away from each other because of his job, traveling with my traveling and stuff, and I don't think that if we had gone through all that and helped our marriage get as strong as it did, that we, would, we wouldn't be able to overcome all the challenges that we've had since then. You know, just the insecurities. Because we do spend a lot of time, well, not this year, but because he's in the military, so when he's deployed or when he's gone away for training for weeks at a time, months at a time, or when I'm traveling for weeks or months at a time, if we hadn't gotten healed from our insecurities and our past relationships, then I can see where the trust issues would be there, where we wouldn't, you know, trust each other as one or the other cheating, or, you know, am I financially abusing him like she was, or is he going to be financially abusing me, you know, or just with different things. But because we both got to a place where we're healthy, we have that trust and that strength and the confidence in each other and ourselves and just the communication that yeah. when we are apart, we don't have to worry. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, he'll be coming up now and um, next month he'll be leaving again for another month. And But that it doesn't worry us because we know that our relationship is strong. And, yeah. it's just and not you bring up like a good before. point. You bring up a good point. It's very difficult uh, in a relationship to trust again after you've been, you know, the greatest trust of all has been violated. But can we touch on this note right after this public service announcement? Yes. Hey, okay, we'll be right back with you. My savings are gone. Okay, where were they last? Here, right before I spent them on that vacation to Aruba. Weird. Not weird. Not saving now means no money later. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Hey, welcome back, and we're talking to Lupe Moreno, and we're discussing her book, uh, Many Faces of Domestic, Vi- Domestic Abuse or Domestic Violence, Lupe. Which one did we decide on? On domestic violence. Excellent. Okay, so we were talking a little bit about, um, well, your healing, which I really want to delve into a little bit further. Um, because being able to trust again is healing, isn't it? But was this book yeah. um, healing for you? And, and in what way was it healing? And how did it help you? 
it helped me because it helped me realize how far I've come. And as a reminder that even though there might be things that trigger me sometimes, <laughs> that now I can handle them differently. Before, if something triggered me, it would just set me back into a depression, to anxiety, and I would start to put the walls up again because I didn't want to be hurt. And now when something happens and I'll get the trigger, but just from my healing and even learning what I've learned as a coach and how I coach clients and like it's easier to see now it's like okay I understand now this is this temporary this little thing that's happening this is not to me personally it's just something that somebody said or something that's I'm not back where I was before and life is good now and it's just it really opened up my eyes more to see how far I've come and it makes me more appreciative gives me more gratitude to enjoy my life now and to make me realize, you know, that where I am now, the joy and everything that I have, it's not something for me to stay silent about because there are so many people out there who need to know, who are going through it, who need to have that hope and yes, let them know, give them, you know, an encouragement and that there is life, you know, this is temporary. I know there, it's painful when you're going through it, and even when you just get out of it, you're not going to heal from one day to the next. You can't go talk to somebody one day about it and, okay, listen, they listen, and they can give you advice, and, okay, now you're happy, you know. <laughs> you're, everything's different. It, it's, it does take time. And it also made me want to even speak more more to teenagers because I think they're the ones who really come to my heart when I think about talking about domestic abuse because I was a teenager when I first started. And I know that's where a lot of it starts. And a lot of programs out there focus on the adult victims Uh and healing them. But I'm more about prevention. I want to help prevent it. Before ha- before it happens, the same way we educate in elementary schools now with the red ribbon week and just say no to drugs and you know we teach about safe sex and everything before they start having sex in junior high and middle school. The same way I feel like we're doing that, we should be teaching them about domestic violence at a young age right. before they start dating. Right. And I agree. There should be an entire class, not a, a, a class where you interject what domestic violence is once or twice or maybe for a week or two or whatever. It needs to be an entire semester. And the reason why is because healthy relationships is important to know what that is, um, what an unhealthy relationship looks like, how to heal from those um, that type of a trauma. The thing is, is all of that needs to be encompassed in an entire class. And yes, it needs to penetrate our high schools. It needs to penetrate our junior highs. It needs to be a major part of the curriculum. I agree because you can't just teach all about domestic violence in one class. 
it's going to take a semester to really get into each type of abuse. Because classes aren't long. What are they, maybe 40, class, 40 minutes each class? Right. So you're going to take a couple weeks to discuss maybe the physical, a couple weeks the verbal, a couple weeks the financial. Right. So, yeah, I agree. It would take a whole semester teach everything that they should know about domestic violence. And also not only to keep them from becoming victims, but also about keeping them from becoming the abusers themselves. Because the way to really stop abuse is from stopping it from every beginning. So if we can stop them from becoming abusers, I think that's, going to be more effective than in high school and junior high is a place to to see that um also so they can recognize what it is are they being abused because abusers are a victim of abuse by their parents Mm -hmm. and sometimes it becomes worse in fact my ex i told him i said you're you're worse than your father absolutely worse than your father as an abuser yeah it, it is a cycle and that's another thing that I'm so grateful for, that my children have not repeated the cycle. It ended, <laughs> and it ended with my generation on, on my family, and I'm so grateful for that, that all three of my kids are now in healthy relationships, and my granddaughters are going to grow up in good families, and it's just, it's something that takes a lot of education, and we can't do it ourselves. It doesn't only take survivors, but it takes everybody, even whether you were a victim or not, You, sh- everybody should be helping to educate about it. Because whether, whether you think about it or not, even if you weren't a victim, I'm sure somebody in your family was. Well, and they don't really recognize that they were a victim of abuse, nor do they recognize that they're abusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll I, say, I no, totally I was agree. never That's abusive. Just- and you're like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, that's like my ex. And I'm pretty sure that's why my second abuser hasn't apologized because he's probably thinking, well, I never hit you. I didn't, wasn't abusing you. I I don't know. Part <laughs> of me wants to believe that maybe he doesn't realize it, but then I see the narcissistic behavior. And like, yeah. You know, it's just one of those things where I have forgiven him, uh, but at this point... It's just healthier for me to keep the distance from him yeah. as much as possible. And I know where you're coming from on this. My last abuser, um, I said, aren't you even sorry that you hit me? Well, I didn't. But if I did, I'm sorry. But I didn't. How did, how did you not know that you hit me? Let me see. You fractured my nose, gave me two black eyes. I had fingerprints of bruises on both arms, red marks around my neck where you tried to choke me, a, an abrasion on my back. You didn't hit me? <laughs> Seriously, they don't take any responsibility whatsoever. And then um, I won't have anything to do with them. And I pref- I would prefer to have something to do with them. But because of the fact of his narcissistic behavior, there's no way. Because if I did have anything to do with him, he'd be like, oh, look at that. She's trying to get back with me. Uh, no. Do I look stupid twice? Do I look stupid twice? Really? No. But I also have forgiven him. I that is the biggest way I think my healing started was just forgiving him for what he did and leaving it in the Lord's hands. It's not my hands. It's in his hands. And there's, 
nothing, no, no person or any entity that's greater than the Lord that can take care of him. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I still, I pray for my abusers. I have no hard feelings towards them. I don't want them to have bad lives or anything like that. It's just, if they don't need to be in my life, then I don't need them in my life. But, yeah, you know, and that's just, it's just one of those things where we make our choices on how we're going to react to something. We can learn from it. Or we can keep letting it keep us down. And right. for so many years, I I think I kept myself feeling like a victim and being able to use the excuse of, well, you don't understand because I went through this. And, you know, yeah, it is because I went through that. But I think in a way I was keeping myself in victim mode and using that as a justification for things that I was doing. Where now... I look back and I'm like, yeah, I did go through that, but that doesn't determine who I am, the person I am. I could stay down, but I've grown so much since then. I'm now stronger. I'm able to handle situations easier and quicker than I did before just because of the way I started thinking things differently. It's like, yeah, that happened to me, but it also happened for me. Because it made me stronger, it made me smarter. And it also put me in positions where I can now help other people. When I was keeping myself in that victim mode, I wasn't mentally, emotionally in a state where I could help other people because I still need to help myself. And it's just, it's it's a big growth period you have to go through, you know, becoming a survivor. and But it's so well worth it. But... I still would like to prevent it as much as possible, and that's what inspired me to write this book and to get it out there. I have hopes that schools will use it. I'm going to reach out to schools and libraries and everywhere that I can to get this book out to people before they become in an abusive relationship. Yes, and please let me know when it comes out because I want to buy it for sure. Yeah, I once it's out, actually, probably before it comes out, I'll start doing pre-sales on my website. And like I said, I'm hoping to, right now, target date of September 1st. It might even be sooner, depending on how long the publisher has to have it to finalize it. And I'm excited about it. It's It's something good. And Yes, and you know what? Something good actually, came out of what it transpired, what happened to you. That's wonderful. Yeah, and I'm just, I don't want anybody else to go through what I went through. You know, and that was I, my. I learned from a lot. I've become stronger for it. But if somebody can become strong on their own without having to go through all this, then that's that's the goal. Let's prevent it from happening again and not have people suffer and go through all the pain like we did if if they don't need to. Yeah, and I the one thing I said was I didn't want anyone to go through. I I wanted it to stop and I didn't want anyone to go through what I went through. And I I gave my book to a friend and I said if this helps just one person, then I will have been successful because that's all that matters to me. And he read it and he came back. He goes, "You've been successful." Yeah. Isn't that sweet? That's how I felt too. 
when I started speaking out and sharing my story and just having teenagers reach out to me and tell me how my story impacted their lives and how it helped them and how one girl called me to get information for her friend because her friend was in an abusive relationship. So knowing that it's the information that I'm giving is helping not yes. only victims but people who have family members or friends who are going through it and yes. helping them understand, okay, this is what you're going to do to help them. Yes. That right there is just such a great feeling knowing that you're helping somebody. And I know. That alone right there is just, it's just worth it knowing that I'd help somebody. And if this book can help at least one more person, hopefully it's going to help thousands. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's the inspiration right there. Yeah, I love it. I'm asking the silent killer, the many faces of domestic violence. I love your title. It's, it's wonderful. Do you have a website? Do you have a Facebook? What do you have? Um, my website Instagram. is yeah, www.lupimoreno.com. And I'll be putting all the information on the book. Um, I'll create a, a separate tab for that on there. But yeah, I'll have the information about the book on there. So if not within a couple of days, it'll be on there soon. Awesome. And that's why I thought, you know, I came up with the title about unmasking them because like my first abuser, my first husband, he was Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You know, it's yeah. like he, he thought he was a perfect person, but he was totally yeah. somebody else when we were in private. So you have to unmask them because what you see is not always what's inside behind that mask. And that's what inspired me to come up with that title. Right. I like that you said Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, someone actually asked me the question one time, is it that you just want to change them? I said, let me put it this way. It's called bait and switch. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't want to change them. It just, that's just the way he was. Yeah. Completely. It was bait and switch. I got baited, and then they went back to normal. <laughs> yeah, it was just totally different when we were personality, when we're alone, and he got angry about something compared right. to when we he was in a good mood. And it's like walking, you live your life walking on eggshells because you never know what reaction you're going to get out of him. Okay, right. What mood is he going to be in right now? And, you know, you get, you can't feel comfortable telling them anything because you don't know how they're going to react. Are they going to be happy about it? Are they going to get mad? Are you going to get hit for this? So, right. you know, it's just, it's not a way to live. Right. No, it's not a way to live. And I am so glad that more people like you are speaking out and recognizing this is what, this is a problem. I appreciate more than anything that you're bringing forward, um, psychological abuse because if people don't give psychological abuse the credit it deserves because man that that's mm-hmm. the worst and people don't get that yeah. it's the absolute worst it i i i went from a complete healthy self image and very a great job um you know very you know i i loved myself i loved my life i loved everything about what was happening in my life and then i ran into an old high school sweetheart and we started hitting it off again. And all of a sudden within a year, literally my life was completely destroyed. My self image was gone. And I'm sitting there going, thinking right is wrong. Wrong is right. And what's going on in my head? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, how did I get here (laughs) to this place? Or, you know, 
You, you yeah. don't even see it coming. It's it's, it's wild. Mhm. Totally. And that's why we speak up, and that's why we have shows like this, <laughs> yeah. And share our stories and share stories of other people that we know because that's how we're going to help keep talking about it and not staying silent. Right, and I'm so grateful to CWR for allowing us to have a show like this. This is wonderful. Not all um, networks allow this, so this is absolutely wonderful. They're remarkable people, and I'm I'm so very grateful to them for this opportunity. Me too. Donnell is awesome, and it just, yeah, it's true. Not many, if any, I don't know of any other radio networks that have a show just strictly dedicated to domestic violence awareness. So I am grateful and honored that, you know, I had the opportunity to host the show and even more grateful that I found somebody to take over for me. (laughs) Oh, and am I grateful. You know, know, and um, I know that you're carrying on exactly the mission that, you know, Donnell and I had for the show in the beginning. It's just all about awareness and sharing information and helping others who need to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's my goal is uh, knowledge, education, and healing for um, making a difference at domestic vi- about domestic violence. I'm very, very excited. And CWR Talk Network has been amazing. And, yeah, Donnell's been the absolute best for sure. And I'm so grateful to you. I can't tell you because it's so important to me. I, I think it's actually probably part of my healing. I mean, I, I think I'm healthy now, and but it just helps me a little bit more if I can help anybody out there. And that's why I keep mm-hmm. talking about this show, and it's why I keep trying to bring um, people that I think will be helpful for my audience and so forth. Okay, you're doing a great job. Oh, I hope so. So next week, I want to share with uh, the audience who's going to be on next week. I have Sylvia Rocio Malaga and um, Lacey Fior. There's two girls, and we're going to talk about the importance of sisterhood during and following abuse. And they have a, a connection that no one will ever see coming, I can promise you. I was in shock when I heard about it myself. And so... In closing, I just want to thank um, Loopy for her uh, coming on tonight and sharing with us about her book, Unmasking the Silent Killer, The Many Faces of Domestic Violence. And again, another reminder uh, that there's a two-day domestic violence conference in Southern Utah, which will be at no cost for those that would like to attend. It's going to be June 1st and 2nd. To register, just check out the website at dvaconference.com. And this will be Shireen signing off. Have a good night.